This is the Insulon podcast, where I, Owen Costello, try to redefine diabetes. In this week's episode, pre-bolusing for me is one of the keys to consistency with my blood sugar. Not just for me, pre-bolus is just massively important and vital to your daily, weekly, monthly time range as somebody living with type 1 diabetes. But before we get into that, everything you hear on the Insulone podcast is from my own personal experience. And if you have any worries or issues regarding your diabetes, please contact a medical professional. Now, let's get stuck into this episode. Good afternoon, everybody, and welcome back to the Insulone podcast, your favorite diabetic podcast. And I have, I have Graham staring at me through the camera here and... He has just spent the entire weekend at a festival in Ireland. So my question to Graham is, how is he feeling being in front of a microphone where he has to pretend to be enthusiastic about diabetes? I, I don't think I'll, I'll pretend at all. I think I'll just be a more mellow version of myself. Um, I, but you know, I actually don't feel that bad. I thought I'd feel a lot worse. But let me tell you, because I was we were messaging earlier on today and I was like, any time after three, I'll be free. And then I message. No, no, it's going to be any time after four now, I'll be free. And then we, no, can we actually do five instead? It took me. So if you're Irish people, you know, Electric Picnic. If you're not, it's Ireland's biggest festival, uh, music and arts festival. There were 70,000 people there over the weekend. And we thought we were good getting up at, we wake at about half eight, a quarter to nine this morning, which was pretty good, to be fair. Yeah, And well. um, we got up, got the tent all packed up, got our all belongings, and we went to the car. And we were like, we're going to beat the traffic. This is going to be fantastic. We sat in the car for two hours in the car park of Electric Picnic as all the cars oh. in one specific car park, where I'd say there was probably about twenty or 30,000 cars, were getting out one exit. Oh, no. And, be- and there was no stewards oh. at all. So, all. so cars kind of had to make their own lines of kind of determine which is the best route out but as more cars joined the lines other cars made their own lines so once you got to the exit there was about five or six different lines trying to funnel into one tiny gate so i i'm sure there was but i was thinking at the time i got there's definitely going to be crashes here because people are tired they're annoyed they're waiting in this car park for so long and everyone has to kind of go you go i go you go i go so there's a there's a certain degree of we're all helping each other out here, but everyone's really tired and annoyed at the situation that there's no stewards at all. So we eventually got out two hours in the field. And then when we got out on the way back to Dublin, if you know Ireland, we're on the M7 motorway. And then I had Google Maps up and I see massive red lines, meaning traffic. I go, what's oh, this? nightmare. 45 minute delay on the motorway because there was an accident. And then we got past that one. And then there was a 10 minute delay of another accident then. Now, thankfully, I don't think anyone was uh, was seriously injured. I think it was just maybe a few tips, but the sheer amount of volume of cars that was going out of electrocuting this morning. So it took me what would have been about a one hour and 20 minute journey on a normal day from my apartment to Strat Valley took five hours. <laughs> it took you five hours? Five hours. Because oh, then... Nightmare. Yeah, because there were all the traffic on the road. It was... <clears throat> It was a nightmare. But good festival. Good, clean, fun, Owen. And I've got a question for you because I know we're not on here to talk about festivals because it actually could be a, a an episode in itself. Just a quick one. I know we've kind of touched on them before because we did go to a festival in Malta. But how do you really find going to festivals? Because for me, 
a non-diabetic going around like I don't know what food to eat. My natural kind of breakfast, lunch and dinner is thrown out the window. I'm not eating proper food. I'm kind of I kind of go for food which has the smallest queue so I don't have to queue that long and miss acts. <laughs> like that's my approach to it. Like how would a diabetic approach a festival in that terms? Land, let's obviously we know about the drink and all that, but like food wise. Yeah, it can be a tricky one because obviously you're completely out of your routine. You're drinking probably a lot more alcohol you're drinking you're eating so much different types of food and for me like we've been to a couple festivals together graham i won't go into great detail Mm. but what i found and what i do find is that when you're at a festival you're just moving around so much and something like electric picnic and even when we went to malta there's so much walking yeah and particularly if you're in the heat i know that if i'm walking around a lot and the sun is shining and it's hot, my bloods are going to be inclined to come down a lot and quite frequently. So I've actually found that when I'm at festivals, I don't even take that much insulin because anything that I eat is likely kept quite stable, blood sugar-wise, just based off my walking around and whatever amount of dancing I might might do, depending on who's playing. That's so true because I was, uh, myself and Claire were walking back to the car and it took us nearly an, say 45 minutes to 50 minutes from where we were camping to the car and we were looking three bags each, carrying tents, um, sleeping bags, air mattresses, all that. And we were like, this has been a workout. This is more of a workout mm-hmm. than we would do in the gym. So it's actually true that we were talking about that and that's, it would counteract the food. That's a, a very good point that I didn't even think of. When I was thinking about you old diabetics today on my drive home <laughs> yeah. for uh, this episode. Yeah, because I know that if I have almost any active insulin on board while I'm exercising, particularly hours of walking around that you will be doing at a festival, inevitably I'm going to come down. That's just a fact. And if I am at a festival, I'm likely drinking alcohol, which will probably bring my bloods down over the course of the weekend as well and with that amount of walking that's just going to almost keep pulling me down naturally to a certain extent so i kind of use the food that i eat almost as a way to top myself back up okay because if i if i was to take my typical amount of insulin for whatever meal i'm eating then i would just plummet because of all of the walking. And I was actually sending in a few voice notes into my clients group earlier in the week about how you almost view the food that you eat and the exercise that you do kind of like a tug of war. Because when I'm walking, my bloods are being pulled down. Whereas when I eat food, my bloods are being pulled up. So it's almost like you need to try and find that balance between the pulling up and the pulling down so that you stay in range as much as you can but a big part of going to a festival is kind of acknowledging and accepting the fact that your bloods probably aren't going to be as well managed as you're used to in your typical routine and that's just part of it well thank you for that one Owen um I threw that question at you unknowingly to you was uh selfishly on my own part talking about more so about festivals but let's get into diabetics there did I see any? I actually didn't, but I did see a diabetic recently in the... Did I see them in the airport? I just spotted the CGM. 
And now I'm that person who goes, no, that is a diabetic. Go over and talk to them. No, because I'm not a diabetic. You are. Uh, not yes. At heart. At heart. Not yes. As we <laughs> Fingers crossed. Say. Every as night before I go say. to sleep, I say a prayer that you'll All get type 1 diabetes, Graham. And I'll be the most prepared person to ever have <laughs> yeah. been diagnosed with type 1 diabetes. They're like, Graham. You've got type 1 diabetes. I go, that's fine. Don't worry about it, Doc. I'm all good. I, yeah, I'm, I'm well equipped. <laughs> I'm all right. Uh, will we get into an email? We will indeed. Let's do it. This one comes from Kate Skeehan, subject line decisions. And Kate goes, hi, Owen and Graham. Loving the podcast at the moment and learning so much from it. My time and range is the best it's ever been. I'm exercising consistently and feeling really good about my diabetes management. All thanks Unreal. to the podcast. Thank you, lads. Unreal. Owen often talks about all the extra decisions a type 1 diabetic has to make. And often, when I have a decision to make, I often wonder what Owen would do in these situations. <laughs> if I wake up higher than I'd like, doesn't happen often, thank God. I don't know whether I should take a correction dose, let my bloods come back into range, and then pre-bolus and eat breakfast, or combine my correction dose and my pre-bolus dose and then eat. Mm. Also, I know we have to be very careful about taking insulin close to bedtime. If I'm slightly high but still in range, let's say about nine millimoles, I always debate taking a unit to bring it down, but worry it could drop me too low when I'm asleep. What do you think? And I know how important it is to pre-bolus, but sometimes it's difficult to do so. If I visit a friend's house, I'm not expected to eat, and then they offer me something like soup. Would you pre-bolus and wait 15 minutes to have the soup? Maybe being awkward for the other people eating if they feel like they have to wait for you too? Or would you inject insulin and eat straight away and hope for the best? Thanks for all the great work you both do. Now that COVID restrictions have lifted, have you ever thought about organizing an insulin podcast meetup? Just an idea. Keep up the great work. That is from Kate in Ireland. So a couple of questions in their own. What do you make of that? Yeah, really, really nice email. Appreciate it, Kate. And as always, appreciate you listening to the podcast. And I, I, I found it funny that when she's considering different things, she thinks, what would Owen do? That's hilarious. But just goes to show you the amount of decisions, additional decisions that you need to make just with your everyday life as you live with type 1 diabetes. But I'm honored that I'm in your head when those decisions come up. Um, and a few good questions and a few good examples of how sometimes we may be in a quote unquote kind of awkward situation socially in relation to our diabetes management. And that's a big part of it because we're obviously not just diabetic when we're in private. We're diabetic when we socialize. We're diabetic when we meet people. We're diabetic when we go to the gym. It's there. That's just a fact. So our management may require different thought processes, different approaches, depending on what sort of situation that we're in. Now, I know what I would do in all of the examples that Kate gave. But I know what I would do in those situations because I'm extremely selfish when it comes to my diabetes. And what I mean by that is I will prioritize my blood sugar over pretty much anything. And that's a decision that I make. I'm not saying that everybody needs to make that decision because it doesn't suit everybody, but that's just how I am with my diabetes. For example, pre-bolusing for me is one of the keys to consistency with my blood sugar. 
not just for me, pre-bolus is just massively important and vital to your daily, weekly, monthly time and range as somebody living with type 1 diabetes. Pre-bolus for me is non-negotiable. Regardless of who I'm with, where I am, or what I'm doing. I will not eat food unless I pre-bolus. That's just the way I am. Some people may listen to this and be like, ah, that's, that's lunacy. You can't, you can't be doing that. Whatever. You can disagree with me. That's fine. I will not eat unless I pre-bolus. And I make that decision because the 15 minutes for me that I can wait when I pre-bolus saves me a lot of hassle over the next one, two, three hours. Blood sugar-wise, depending on what I eat. For example, I could be sitting down to a meal and I can do an exact carb count. I know the exact amount of insulin I need. But if I don't pre-bolus, my blood sugars will inevitably spike. That's just what they will do. Now, personally, it's more important for me to wait 15 minutes and avoid that spike and wait for them to come back down rather than avoiding the pre-bolus. But again, that's me. That might not be somebody else. But that's an example of how decisions can massively influence our blood sugar each day. Because essentially, your diabetes management, for the most part, is based on things you do and things you don't do. Yes, I've said it plenty of times before on the podcast. Excuse me. (laughs) There, There are things that affect your blood sugar. Stress, hormones, natural spikes, etc. But the vast majority of our management is based on things that we can do or things that we don't do. For example, calculating insulin doses, deciding to pre-bolus, exercise, stress management, drinking water, etc., etc. Doesn't mean that if you do all of these things, everything will be perfect because it won't, it never will be. But you put yourself in a very healthy position each day and each week. So I may be going slightly off track here from what Kate was saying in her email, but I often go off track on diabetes because it's something I'm incredibly passionate about because I am affected by it firsthand every day of the week, just as much as you are. An example of this happened an hour ago. I was cooking um, turkey burgers, which I <laughs> which I often do. So I had two turkey burgers and four kind of mini brioche buns. So anytime I'm eating food that requires insulin, I carb count the food, I calculate the insulin I need, I take my insulin as I'm putting my insulin pen cap back on, as I'm twisting my wrist, I look at my watch. Right now it says 5.36. I add 15 minutes and lock into my mind the time that I take my first bite of food. So that would be 51. So if I was eating and taking insulin right now, my first bite of food would be 5.51. When I lock that time into my head, that doesn't change. My first bite of food will be at 5.51, regardless of what happens. Okay. People are probably listening to this being like, is he, he's a lunatic. But this, <laughs> sometimes, sometimes this is what is required. Actually sticking to a decision that you make. 
because you know that decision benefits your blood sugar, your benefit and your blood sugar benefits your mood, your energy, your stress levels, all these different things. So I say to myself, I'm eating at 5.51, non-negotiable. So when I cooked my burgers before this episode, I, let's just say, for example, that the time I was eating was 5.51. I sat down, put the plate of burgers in front of me, looked at my watch, and it was 5.48. And I sat there for three minutes looking at my burgers <laughs> until it was 5.51 and then took my first bite. See, I think now, you love that. You love that type of stuff, though. You lo- you loved the fact that you had it three minutes early. You were like, I'm not going to do it. It's 51 or nothing. Sometimes that's what's required. Yeah. Now, again, some, somebody's probably listening to me and like, he's lost his mind. <laughs> but having precision around your diabetes management when you can have precision around your diabetes management will only benefit you. Now, I'm not saying that the three minutes that I sat looking at my burgers would have made a massive difference to my to my blood sugar, my overall health. But it was a decision that I made. And when I made the decision, I was going to stick to it. And then when you do stick to these little decisions, even though all I wanted to do was sit down and just hammer into the burgers. <laughs> when I waited the three minutes or whatever it was, and when I finished my burgers, it's almost like you have this strange, like this strange proud feeling. Do you know mm. what I mean? That's like, I really wanted to just eat the burgers, but I didn't because I made the decision that would benefit me. And sometimes that's what's required. Sometimes it takes a slight bit of weirdly sounding discipline to give you the things that you want in relation to your diabetes management, your health, and your fitness. Now, again, there's probably there's probably somebody listening to this being like, ah, oh, would you would you just shut up? Like three minutes, would you just sit down and eat the burgers? That's perfectly fine. That's the beauty of managing your type 1 diabetes. Yours is yours, mine is mine. Fit your management into the type of person that you are, fit your management into the type of life that you live. But if you can be disciplined with certain decisions that on the surface seem irrelevant and inadequate, over time, daily, weekly, monthly, they add up. They increase your time and range. They lower your A1C. They make you feel better. They make you feel more confident in relation to your diabetes management. And it's, it's, those, it's those little decisions that you kind of remind yourself of I'm in charge here. My diabetes isn't in charge. So I know you said that you, you, you often go off on one. I really enjoyed you going off on one there, but I'm going to try and wind it back to Kate's emails and let's <laughs> see how we can... way off track. No, because no, it's all relevant. It is all relevant. I'm going to see how we can um, relate that to some of Kate's emails. So I'm presuming then when she's talking about being in a friend's house and she gets offered food, your advice would be, and I know what you would do, you would say, you eat the food, I'm going to pre-bolus and I'm going to wait my 15 minutes because I have to be selfish here. I don't care if people are looking at me. I don't care that people might feel a little bit awkward that they're eating and I'm not, but that's what you would do. Yeah, my, like my personal stand on that would be 
I'm just pre-bolsing. Obviously, when I'm in a social situation, I'm going to be polite and kind and understanding in relation to whatever sort of scenario that I'm in. It's not like I'm going to be like, I'm pre-bolsing. I don't care what you say. I don't care what you want to do. It's not. It's obviously, obviously not like that. But if I make a decision around my diabetes management, that's just the way it is. Like I would rather not eat for 15 minutes and talk to people who are eating for 15 minutes and just wait and then eat because the chances are they're still going to be eating in 15 minutes. Again, somebody could be listening and be like, ah, Owen, would you ever stop? <laughs> it's like, just eat the food with the people that are giving you the food. I absolutely will. But the chances are the people that are eating the food with me don't have to take insulin and don't have to pre-bolus. I do. So, so I'm going to make different decisions around the food that I'm eating that they would have to make because that's the reality of the life that I live. But I also, I also know that if the people that I'm eating dinner with or are offering me food, like chances are they know I'm living with type 1 diabetes. So if I said, oh, look, I'm just taking my insulin, I'll, I'll be eating in 10, 15 minutes. They were like, yeah, perfect. Don't worry about it. I think that answers the question. Definitely. I'm going to go to the bedtime one now. I'll remind you. If I'm slightly high but still in range, let's say about nine millimoles, I'll always debate taking a unit to bring it down, but worry it could drop me too low when I'm asleep. What do you think about that? I particularly around overnight blood sugars would always rather be higher than lower because we always want to avoid hypos because the immediate impact of hypos can potentially be a lot more serious than the immediate impact of high blood sugars, particularly when we sleep. So if you are ever in doubt, and Kate may be in doubt around her correction doses prior to bedtime, I would play it safer. I would rather go to bed thinking, ah, I might sleep through the night slightly higher rather than going to bed thinking, uh-oh, did I take too much insulin and am I going to go too low? But again, it can depend on your confidence around your own correction doses and how you feel that dose will bring you down or the rate that it will drop your blood sugar back down. Like if I was at nine and I knew that I didn't have any active insulin on board, meaning the last insulin dose I took was over three or four hours ago, I knew that that nine wasn't going to shift too much. Then personally, I would be comfortable taking a correction dose. But let's say, for example, I had taken a fast acting insulin dose an hour ago. That fast acting insulin is still active in my system and still potentially could bring my blood sugar back down. So if I take a correction, I could essentially be stacking on more insulin leading to lower blood sugars again throughout the night. So it can depend on a couple of different things, but I would always play it safer around low blood sugars, particularly around the nighttime. And finally, let me find the other question. If I wake up high, 
I don't know whether I should take a correction dose, let my bloods come back into range and then pre-bolus and eat breakfast or combine my correction dose and my pre-bolus dose and then eat. That's if she wakes up high. Thanks. Okay, gotcha. Again, I think again, I think this comes down to personal preference. Again, I will use myself as an example because I can only speak from my experience. I will rarely eat if my blood sugar is high. I will always rather get my blood sugar back in range and then eat. Because I know that if my blood sugars are high, they're stubborn, they want to stay up there, and it can be more difficult to get them back down if I'm eating on top of them. Now, in the rare case that I do eat when my blood sugar is high, ideally, I'd like to add on a correction dose to whatever dose is required for the meal that I'm eating. And because I'm high, I will likely increase my pre-bolus time. So instead of, let's say, five units and a pre-bolus of 15, if I'm in range. If I'm already high, my correction dose, let's say, could be two units. So that means I'm taking seven total. And because I'm high, I need to give my insulin slightly longer to start doing its thing before I start eating. So my pre-bolus time could be 20 minutes instead of 15 minutes. But I would always try to eat when I'm in range because I know that if I'm already high, I'm a lot more inclined to continue to spike. I think that answers I think we did question. it. I think we did it. I think we answered <laughs> we all the it. questions. I think we did. We answered all of Kate's questions. There's almost we... part. There's almost part of me that thinks, did I go off too far on that first one? <laughs> like, did I did I sound like I don't know? <laughs> did I sound like nah. weird about being selfish around my own, my own blood? No, I like decisions. that. I I liked. I just my favorite part of it was just imagine you sitting down staring at the burgers for three minutes not even <laughs> yeah, on yeah. not even on your phone not talking to anyone in the house just staring at the burgers that's what it was i was just sitting i was just sitting there looking at the burgers and thinking at it. and it was funny as <laughs> it was funny as well because as i was waiting i knew that i was recording this podcast so i was like ah oh, if this comes up in the podcast it'd be funny and then kate's email is specifically asking about pre-bolus which was kind of funny I really want somebody, because I know Kate says she often thinks what would Owen do. I really want someone this week after listening to this episode, setting the time, 15 minutes, and then they just sit there and they do an Owen. I'm doing an Owen. I'm <laughs> sitting, staring at my food for 90 seconds. Yeah. Yeah. Are you okay? You're right in there, Johnny. Yeah, just doing an Owen. Don't worry about it. <laughs> yeah. I'm staring at my food. Just get bracelets. What would Owen do? What would Owen do? There we go. There's the merch. Finally, <laughs> nearly three years in, we've got our merch. What would Owen do? In Stone Podcast, <laughs> what would Owen do? Right. If anybody uh, wants a what would Owen do t-shirt. Yeah, know. yeah. <laughs> no, RRP, no, no, no. 50 euro. Um, Owen, thank you very much. Kate, thank you very much. As always, we uh, we love hearing your stories, your questions, your um, what 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 would you do? What would you do? Let us know. The Insel Owen podcast at gmail.com is where you can catch us. We made it to the end of the podcast, Owen. And my voice, my voice, I know your voice usually cracks, but I fully thought my voice would go, but it's held on in there just a little bit. I'm surprised. My voice seems to be more husky than yours. So I'm mm. impressed. Kate, thank you very much for your fantastic email. We really appreciate listening to the podcast. We really appreciate the 
anecdote examples and the questions and I hope what I went through gave you uh, a bit of an insight into my conceptual diabetic brain so appreciate it thank you for listening whoever you are wherever you are we love you have a good day have a good week look after those bloods we'll chat to you soon take it easy Graham bye